0: Hello and welcome to Your Intention Matters, the podcast. My name is Paul Madad. I hope everybody is doing all right today. Today we have Steve Smith. He is Global Head of Sales at Miyagi, Channel Sales Enablement. Steve, how are you?
1: Good. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, Good.
0: Welcome. For those who aren't familiar with you, just a quick intro. Say hi to everybody.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Steve Smith. And for the last 13 or 14 years, I've been um, selling and leading sales for technology companies. Uh, And it's been quite a ride.
0: Good, uh, and I'm looking forward to you sharing your stories. I've gotten, to get, I've gotten to know you a little bit before I hit record here. And so, Steve, listen, before we get started, um, I don't want to be tone deaf to what's happening in the world right now. It's a unique time. Right now, we're May 5th, we're recording this. Um, how's everything at your end, uh, navigating COVID and the isolation and uh, this pandemic? And how's everything, your team, your life, everything okay? How are you, how you managing right now?
1: Well, it's certainly an adjustment. and It's an adjustment for everyone. Um, In in our case, because we were a fully remote or ninety percent remote um, company before the pandemic, the the biggest adjustment has really been not leaving our houses uh, or or wearing masks. And there's nowhere to to go grocery store. Yeah, and there's literally nowhere to go. (laughs) Um, And so that's that's probably been the biggest adjustment, which is not a small one, to be clear, but. I think the I think the work from home and remote kind of transition has been a lot more extreme for everyone um, who's not kind of a a, a startup with forty people um, and offices on three continents and customers on eleven. Right. Because that just that just leads to a lot of people spending a lot of time um, in Zoom rooms. If I'm being completely candid. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Uh, well, listen, I, I
0: certainly yeah. appreciate uh, your time here, and I'm glad to hear that while you're you know, trying to navigate through this new reality that everybody is hunkering down and doing okay, and you're know, doing our best to kind of get through this. And so, Steve, you know that the name of the podcast is Your Intention Matters, and that really uh, focuses on the fact that nothing has really been given to you and your career is meandering. And, and so if you're open to it, I'm getting ready to, for you to share your story. You ready to go? yeah okay all right so let's take you back to uh 2002 you're at stanford uh graduate with a political uh science degree uh you keep me honest here but some 18 years later did you have you know head of sales at miyagi on your brain at all um
1: well i had no idea that channel sales was going to be something that i spent any time on and the, the short answer to your question is no not at all um but partly, that, I think that was because in 2002, um, the, the dot bust yeah. was in full sling. Um, not so much that uh, nobody was thinking about sales or running sales for technology companies at Stanford in the early 2000s. Because that's just not true. Everybody thought that we were going to be the next kind of Hewlett-Packard. Right. Um, and the, the dot boom of the late 90s uh kind of made it seem like we were right at at least to us at the time uh i'm pretty sure steve jobs would have disagreed (laughs) with us at the time but hey fair Uh, enough and and when we when i graduated um was also you know roughly i guess about a year after 9-11 um and so the dot bust and post nine eleven was immediately after. You know that that was kind of my reality um, coming out of Stanford. So I actually I wound up in academia, and that was the surprising. That was the surprising part of it. <laughs> Not so much what happened later, probably. Well, what did you think uh, you'd
0: be doing? Like, like, why take political science? And what was your vision at the time? Do you remember?
1: Well. At the time, political science and computer science made perfect sense to me because what I thought I was going to be doing was teaching computers to make decisions and um, learning how power and decisions got made in large organizations of people. Um,
0: it's what every and- person who runs a sales division wanted to do, right? It's exactly where they come from, thinking they were going to build computers and you end up in sales. So talk to me, how did, how did, what was your first sales or how did that happen?
1: Uh, the the first sales gig I had, I literally moved from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, well, Cambridge, uh, where Harvard is based, mm. um, to, well, first I moved to Cleveland, but that's a longer story. Then I moved to San Francisco, and the kind of second boom was well underway. Um, and uh, a couple of things happened, and eventually I wound up in the first um, kind of sales class that Yelp put together um in kind of two thousand seven where they brought in kind of ten people to teach them the the quote unquote right way mm. to to sell um this from a company that had maybe thirty people at the time. Um and so uh the the interesting thing about that was that uh in my interview the 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 boss, who's still actually the boss at, 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 at Dunkman, um kind of said, "How would you feel about doing sales operations?" Uh, because I think he thought, kind of, may- maybe like I did, that you know, the 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 guy who goes to the fancy school and spends time thinking about things doesn't necessarily do them uh, the way the way they need to be done. And it turned out, for whatever reason. Um, I said, no, I want to sell, uh, but I'll do operations if if you need me to. Um, And I spent four years there uh, selling uh, and really selling new products and new markets to new people um, in larger, kind of ever larger and more complicated uh, customers, target customers, prospects.
0: And what was your tenure uh, at Yelp?
1: Uh, So it was from 2007 to 2010. Okay, so about three years. And While I was there, um spent a lot of time kind of doing sales to people that we hadn't sold to before.
0: Oh, so so like hunting?
1: Oh, yeah. It was, it was like, an account execution. Yes, I was an account executive there. And then I was what we call a regional account or what we did call a regional or a key account executive. Um, and then a national account executive. And eventually started working on big deals with, you know, kind of AutoNation or the Fortune 500, um, and ad agencies.
0: And and so what, geographically, where were you at this time during your three years at Yelp?
1: Uh, San Francisco.
0: You're in San Francisco. Okay, so you're yep. in the Bay Area, but you had left the Bay Area after Stanford to go back east, Boston and Cleveland, you mentioned. And so yep. um, did you move to San Francisco before Yelp, or did Yelp move you out there? Did. How did that happen?
1: No, I, I moved out there because I uh, got fired from my first sales, well, first management job right out of academia. My my advisor had told me uh, when I was when I was at Harvard Kennedy School of Government that it was going to take too long for me to have an impact. I should just, quote unquote, go out and get rich. And then people had to listen to me. And I was like, how do I do that? And he was like, I don't know, go into <laughs> consulting. Um, and so I took the first consulting gig that came along, moved to Cleveland. And spent the coldest winter I've ever spent in New England um, in kind of northern, the northern suburbs of Cleveland uh, in a warehouse uh, doing industrial supply distribution and learning how to think about business models from a hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty year old company called McMaster Card Supply Company. Um, and while I was there, you know, they hand out they, they hand out awards because um, Kind of new, newly minted management trainees, management consultants, kind of rotational leadership programs. They need to they need to keep their participants engaged. So, I my my award was most creative, which nice. I think in hindsight probably meant biggest pain in the ass. Um, like a participant award? Not. Uh, no. I wouldn't necessarily no. say everybody who participated was uh, you know rewarded differently. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, it, it was if you were if you were suggesting that you do things differently hmm. that I think I, I think that was the the kind of creativity thing. Uh, maybe they wanted to keep doing things their way, uh, which works. Uh, but yeah, no, I wound up sitting down with the guy who ran this branch of a two billion dollar company, and he kind of said, "I think you do fine here, but I think you're better fit for startup life." And I was like what's startup life and you know that that's this thing that kind of imploded to seven or eight years ago right right and and he said yeah it's always around go 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 west literally he said go back to california um and so that's what I did. Steve, how did and you that's...
0: navigate that, that time? Because so you go back west and I get that you're familiar with San Francisco because you went to college there. So I got that. Sure. And so, this, so the Bay Area must have felt like Tahiti for you versus Cleveland in the winter. So, yes, so we're good there. Nice. But then you're also at a time where the world was going through a bit of another crisis with the, with the subprime mortgage crisis back in 2000, 2008. And so well, that,
1: was, that was another two years away it was it was a it was a huge boom at the time
0: when you were out eat, when you were out west
1: when, when i first arrived this would have been kind of mid 2006 gotcha. early 2007 okay. um, it was it was a great time to be in san francisco everybody was hiring everybody was growing it looked a lot like honestly it looked like 2018 2017 right. kind of
0: or even the late '90s with the .dot coms, as you were talking about. Yeah. Just it was Mardi yeah, Gras, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was absolute yeah. Mardi Gras. So and go ahead. So, uh, you know, I, of course, as a Stanford grad, I, you move up to, to to San Francisco. What do you do? Uh, I found a I found a roommate who went to Cal and um, slept in her spare bedroom, uh, right across the street from a baseball park in a bad part of Berkeley uh, that had. Um, some nefarious characters who were actually really interesting guys, um, and I spent the next three years thinking about absolutely nothing else besides making money for a technology company that nobody had ever heard of. For
0: a three-year stint, uh,
1: just about. I, I think I personally think it was a little bit longer than that. Longer than, okay. It certainly felt it certainly felt like a decade. But All right, yeah, I think it. I think it worked
0: out to about three years. So, so you end up at Yelp for, for a pretty good run back in the Bay Area. You, you come in at a time when things are really good, but you still have to navigate through you know, the, 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 the crisis of the mortgages and everything else. And so talk to me about, because you're not at Yelp anymore, and so it's been almost, a de- I guess, about a decade since you left. Uh, what, tell me, what's the story behind the decision to leave? Was it yours? Were you voluntold? Was it hard? Talk to me about why you left.
1: Um. So I was not voluntold and yet in hindsight, it was probably the biggest mistake of my career.
0: Okay, do tell.
1: To, to, leave, to leave Yelp, I mean. Okay. Um, I say that because working there, I thought um, a really strong, productive, team-oriented, uh, tenacious culture that worked well between sales and product that had a clear vision and leadership in the space that was uh, widely agreed internally and externally to be helping um, everyone involved in using the product Um, i was under the impression that that was how it it worked everywhere because it worked like that There, there right correct um, and so we got to the point where we were getting um, ready to IPO. We had three offices. There were, you know, five hundred, six hundred salespeople. Um, we were we were getting ready to break the one thousand salespeople um, on the phone mark. And I kind of said, I want to do that again. Uh... I want to go from the small to big. I want I want to ride that roller coaster again. Um, and I can't do that after an IPO, you, you, in my head, you started small and you got to an IPO and then you did it again. That was kind of the, the model that Yelp had put in my head. And I really, really, really wish that I had picked almost any other model, um, in hindsight for the way things worked. Um, for example, if the model had been when you've got great leadership and you've got great product. You can sell a lot and make an incredible amount of money if your customers stay happy. Um, But that's almost impossible to do. And here are all of these companies that have failed and died because companies that did do those things came along and killed them. Mm. That probably would have Mm. given me a much more uh, realistic perspective. Or if the mental model had been working with a very small group of entrepreneurs leads to success. Everybody else dies quickly um that would have that would have been a more useful <laughs> mental model for sure. gotcha gotcha uh, and and so i spent the next 4 years after that uh well 5 years after that um, looking for founders who not only were really good at building companies but wanted and were able to build a company from small to big and it turns out that's a very small subset of founders. Mm. Um, so I didn't know that at the time and I just went for the best people I could find. And it turns out, I don't know if you knew this, I didn't at the time, but 97%, almost 100% of the, the successful exits in startup land, the, the moments when founders declared victory come from acquisitions. In other words, Most of the startups that survive never go public. They become parts of other organizations. I had no idea. Uh, And so I joined a company that was actually um, quite well put together and headed in a great direction, and they decided to stay private and only get to a certain size and buy out their investors. All right. Got to try again. Um, Find another founder doing some really great stuff in a really great industry that we know a lot about and we're building technology that will actually help customers headed in the right direction. We get bought by a $40 billion conglomerate. All right. Six months after we start building the, the, the business. Six oh,
0: months. six months. Six months. All right.
1: Um, oh, didn't, didn't get there that time either. Got to find another one. Uh, and so this, this kind of progressed. Bought by a $40 billion conglomerate, bought by a $3 billion conglomerate, um, bought by a $250 million um, growing tech company. Uh, And so eventually I realized that it wasn't just the founders. It was also you had to put a filter on it. If you really wanted to do what I wanted to do again, Mm -hmm. you had to go out and find founders who'd already made it past certain milestones. So they were too big to get bought. Right, right, and then you had to find good cultures and good leadership and all those other things. But you had to you had to start with, or I had to start with, finding a much bigger business.
0: And that could not have been the easiest of tasks.
1: Uh, well, no. So no. in in that in that case, no, absolutely not. And so the 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 truth of the matter is, most of those they've already built their. Uh, culture. They've already built their leadership team. They've already built their leadership culture. Um, and so, you know, it turns out it's relatively rare unless you want to be promoted from within which, which is absolutely a possibility and just not part of my mental model at the Mm. time, um, that you were going to find an opportunity like that. And so I was, I was blessed, uh, because after, after that, uh, this guy Jason Drogi uh, and his kind of deputy Kenzo uh, took a took a chance on a kind of wild card to build the the go to market engine for Uber's um, business to business branch. Gotcha. Uh, the 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 services and platform for moving stuff, not people.
0: So, Steve, how did you, okay, so you, you're, you're from out east, you're from New England, you go to California for school, you go back out east, you go to Cleveland, you find your way back in California. How did you land in Denver? What, what's the story? What took you to the Mile High City? How'd you get there?
1: So, I wound up for Uber, um, moving to Chicago functionally.
0: Oh, you were um, Chicago in between. <laughs>
1: gotcha. Um, for, for about six, eight months to, to build out a, a team to sell, at that time, a company that didn't really exist, but it, it's now Uber Eats. Um, and it turns out that it, Chicago is freezing. For, for a guy who grew up in New England and a guy who spent a year and a couple of winters in Cleveland, yeah, it is the Arctic Tundra um, for about four months a year one of my favorite cities in the world for the rest of the year but but it's it's absolutely horrific um and and at the time uber was having some challenges Mm. um and so when i moved to to denver i moved to denver because i i just wanted to spend less time uh this at, at that point i'd been in kind of startup land for 10 years um, and I'd, I'd been used to 70, 80 hour work weeks um, and being on the road quite a bit. Mm. And so a, a friend of mine called me and said, um, I'm getting the bands back together. And by that, he meant friends of ours from the Bay Area who were going to move to Denver or kind of move from their jobs in Denver to turn around this 50 year old or the, the, the sales for most of the customers customers at um, this 50 year old software company that serves financial services. And I told him, I know nothing about Denver or financial services. And he said, Yeah, but you know, a lot about managing customer relationships, and building uh, software as a service businesses that kind of are built for the future. Not not based on the past in the way and the way people used to do things. Uh, kind of in the 20th century and so i said well that's very nice of you to say but um huh. the, this opportunity to work with what i was thinking of as my my peers at that point which was kind of technology leaders rather than technology sellers um and kind of learn from them and candidly work work in a completely new environment right doing a turnaround of a technology business on the face of it is completely different from um building right a growth engine for a completely new business and so i said private equity don't know that portfolio of companies don't know how to work inside of that um this turnaround thing seems really interesting and i know how to kind of manage develop coach um build salespeople and sales teams so yeah let's do that And I spent three years with some of my best friends um, kind of building a really great team and culture for other salespeople to grow up inside of. Here in here in uh, the Mile High
0: City, Steve. I gotta say, man, I love the eclectiveness of your career because it's it's all over the map in terms of industry and cities and geography. And you you didn't think you would be doing any of this um, early on with your you know with your career and everything else. And so I'm fascinated by that. Um, I always like to ask anybody who comes on uh, if, if anybody came to you with any piece of advice. If anybody had, hey, Steve, what advice would you give for me? Uh, anything that's stuck with you over the years that somebody said to you that's kind of been your baseline or if there was one I, there's probably lots I'm sure but if there was one piece of advice anybody listening what might you say
1: yeah um i'd say three different things i think um and i'm thinking about this like how would my 40 year old self uh give advice to my 20 year old mm. self um, but it would basically be there are lots of people doing lots of things at any job you start working at. Make a decision um, and be willing to change it, but make make a decision and be clear about what it is around who your first team is. Who who are the people that rely on you to do their jobs and who do you rely on to be successful in your job and invest in those relationships? So that, that would be first. Um, this The idea of a first team I didn't even encounter for kind of the first seven eight years hmm. of my career, so uh, that would have been a huge advantage.
0: Sim- similar to what's a startup? What?
1: Yeah, right. Um, yeah, but but first team I think is even more fundamental. Yeah, because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter where you work, it doesn't matter what you do. You're you're gonna need to know who those people are, and you're gonna need to make the decision to invest in them. Um, I think the second one would probably be: um, it's okay to make decisions um, and make mistakes. You don't have to make a decision and have it turn out perfectly. Hmm. the The thing that you need to make sure that you do is: are you are you good with the person who looks back at, back at you in the mirror every morning? So it's not, it's not the, it's not the question of does it work out from a results perspective, but instead, um, and it's also not just kind of like, did you do your best? Did you try your hardest? But instead it's, did you do everything you could to become better every day? All right. And if you, and if you didn't, um, that's, that's where you're going to face regrets. Uh, so yeah, be, be willing to improve and be wrong and find your first team would probably be the three things that I would suggest.
0: Well, Steve, I've enjoyed you taking the time to share your story with us, especially under these you know, current conditions. And so, uh, on that note, um, let's wrap this one up. It's been great.
1: Thanks very much. Uh, I,
0: I, I appreciate you having me on. And everybody, again, thanks for listening. Remember that your intention matters because that's the result you'll tend to get. We're out of here and we'll see you next week. Be safe, everybody.